This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the first Total Saints podcast of 2018, episode 20. My name is still Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners from Twitter. First things first, Happy New Year to you all. On this episode of TSP, I'm once again delighted to be joined by several very welcome guests as we aim to make a big start to 2018. First up, it's my regular compadre, Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer at the Southern Daily Echo. If you're not already, then you can find and follow Adam on Twitter as well, at Adam Leach Sport. Adam, first week of 2018 out of the way, but already yet another action-packed one for you and Saints. Yeah, it's been pretty non-stop, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm absolutely knackered. It's, um, yeah, just been working, obviously, all over Christmas, really. Haven't really had a day off. So it's uh, there's a welcome little break after uh, after Fulham and before Watford. So uh, hopefully there'll be a little bit of time for some some downtime. Um, yeah, because it's just been absolutely relentless with the, the fixtures this year, especially with the big trips as well in, in Christmas week. So it'll be nice to have a little bit of a break. And obviously the Van Dyke saga as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was very enjoyable. I'm sure we all had a great, great time. <laughs> Everybody thinks that journalists really like things like that. Um, actually, the truth is the majority of journalists that I know uh, calm down the days until the transfer window closes because it's, it's a lot of hard work and, and not very much normally happens. Well, well, there we go. There we go. So Excellent. And this week's second guest is Luke Osman at Luke Osman RS from Twitter. Luke is a Saints fan who currently writes for a number of online sites, including Reese Southampton, part of the Fresh Press Media Group, and also Yahoo Sports. Luke, great to finally have you on the podcast. I thought we'd start with a quick getting to know you about your time following Saints, Luke. So, against whom and in what year was the first ever Saints game you attended, Luke? Well, my first Saints game came in the 2004-2005 season. It was the last game of that season. It was against Man United at home. Now... <laughs> I was only I was only four at the time, so I can't really remember anything. But um, according to my parents, at least that was that was my first ever Saints game. It's not exactly a classic to remember then, really, because we got relegated. <laughs> <No>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And who's who's been your favourite player over the years following them? I've had a number really, but you've got to say Ricky Lambert. Where I um wasn't really around for the prime years of Matt Letiz, I think Ricky he's a cult hero and he's a club legend, so I'll go with him. 
Absolutely. And and lastly, and this can be for any reason, what's your most memorable match following them during that time? I think I've been lucky to see so many good games and to see us sort of rise through the ranks. But for me, a game that I always look back on with fond- fondness is the uh, the 2-1 win away at Tottenham in the 15-16 season. Because I felt like at the end of that game, where we'd come back from 1-0 down, it kind of felt really like then we were on the cusp of European football. And it kind of felt like we'd finally completed the journey from League One to Europe. I know we had to win the game against Palace, but that game's one that I always look back on, you know, with a smile on my face. Absolutely. And uh, I think it's something to be in the records for Saints fans, because I'm pretty sure it was their last ever league defeat at uh, White Hart Lane, wasn't it? Yep, certainly was. There we go, one for the memory, so excellent, good stuff. Um, and last this week, but certainly not least, it's George Galpin. George is also on Twitter, at GGalpin95, a handle which instantly makes me feel a little bit older there, George. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, alongside being a Saints fan, George is a graduate of sports journalism at Solent University and currently working as a freelance journalist. And just like Luke, George has already produced content for a number of big sporting outlets, including Sky Sports. George, welcome to the podcast as well. Um, like Luke, it would be good to get to know a little bit more about your Saints history as well. So what was the first ever game you attended? Uh, Well, first, it's a pleasure to be on the pod. My first game as a Saints fan was also Man United, but rather than the game we got relegated, it was slightly earlier in the season in the, well, I say slightly less painful, it's still a 4-0 defeat to Man United. (laughs) There we go, excellent. Um, And who's been your favourite player during that time, Ricky or anyone else? Uh, I probably would go with Jose Fonte, actually. I I love... Love Ricky, but just the way that Fonte took us on from League One to the Premier League to where we thought, oh, this is going to be tricky with all these players going. He became captain and took us on to Europe. So I'd, pro- I'd probably go with Jose Fonte, to be honest. Uh, excellent. All right. And uh, and your most memorable match, I'm assuming not that 4-0 Man United game then. No, <laughs> surprise. It got better after that, <laughs> I have to say. Um, I go slightly... Later than that, I'd go with a 3-1 home win against Leeds in the Championship opening day. Yep. Once we got through League One, we were expected to win League One, and it was sort of a case of, OK, what are we going to do in the Championship? Are we going to be sort of mid-table? Are we sort of going to be playoffs up against Leeds? It was meant to be one of the big hitters in the division. We ripped them apart. You know, that was that was an enjoyable afternoon. Absolutely. So, no, excellent. That's a good good one for the memory, that one. Excellent. Um, well, Adam and I look forward to chatting with you both in more detail about Saints during this podcast. On this episode, we'll be discussing the, the current key talking points, really, around St Mary's at the moment. Adam, as we all know, was in meeting Ralph Kruger this week, so we're going to have a chat about that. Um, I can't really gloss over the fact that we had another woeful Premier League loss at St Mary's to Crystal Palace, so we're going to have a quick chat about the the fallout from that. But something positive is that we did have an FA Cup win against Fulham. We'll also talk to Luke and George about their feelings about Maurizio Pellegrino and the ongoing speculation around his position. And then finally, we'll have a quick brief look at uh, Watford next week, including some predictions. This is Total Saints Podcast, Episode 20. I wanted us to start the podcast with a quick look back at the Crystal Palace game, as I just mentioned, partly because it was sort of so dreadfully awful, especially in the context of our season. Um, Saints obviously went 1-0 up through Shane Long. Yes, Shane Long actually scored a goal and then we lost 2-1 at home. We're only outside the relegation zone now on goal difference. Luke, Adam called it a huge game beforehand, albeit I'm slightly unsure probably where that sits on his vital match must-win spectrum, but... 
it really was a game Saints couldn't afford to lose, especially in the, the sort of all-too-familiar style we've seen this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I said to my friend before the game, uh, I'd argue that this is our biggest game since the cup final. Um, it had a lot of importance, as a lot of our games have this season. But um, it was just it just felt like deja vu again. It was a case of score a goal, sit back, invite the pressure, and then uh, pay the price for it. It was it was really, really, really poor. I mean, the first half we showed we showed um, promise. There were good spells of football, and obviously Shane Long finally got his goal. But um, it's it's not what we do before we score; it's what we do after it. And we failed to build on leads, and that was the case again against Palace. And it was frustrating above all. But um, I think that was sort of the final straw for a lot of fans with Pellegrino, and um, he's just not learning from his mistakes. I think that's the one thing for me. That was something I wrote down earlier in my notes, not learning from his mistakes. But Adam, I, I guess when you look at it now, that's Watford, Newcastle, Burnley, Leicester, Crystal Palace, all teams that over the years have had absolutely wretched league form at Saints, really, gen- generally losing every game. I mean, we've picked up one point from those games. So wh- when does a sort of slight relegation worry become a, a sort of full-scale panic? Now? Well, well, I mean, there's no doubt that there's a relegation battle now. Um, it has to be. There's about... 10 at least 10 clubs in the division that are in it um and it's going to be very very tight probably till the end of the season it's hard to see uh that many of them climbing out um to a point whereby they're actually going to feel safe and and saints are in a well in that group aren't they so it, it has to be a relegation battle now i can't really call it anything else unless they suddenly pick up a bit of form and win three in a row and then pull well clear so uh yeah it looks like it looks like they're in it in terms of whether it's time to panic, I don't think it's ever uh, appropriate really to panic because I think once you start panicking, then you uh, start losing control. And, and once you start losing control, things really get out of hand very, very quickly. So it is a time for calm heads, I think. And it's a time for uh, taking a deep breath, um, not going into too many recriminations right now um, as to as to what is what is behind this and what's going on. Um, there will be a time and a place where it's right to do that. But I think right now the the club needs to focus uh, and, and everybody attached with the club needs to focus on on the battle in hand, which is obviously turning around the form uh, and staying in the division. Um, there are certain things that have got to happen. Uh, we, we know what a lot of them are um, and, and the, the, they have to take place quickly. Obviously, Adam, Crystal Palace was a, a six pointer effectively, as Luke mentioned there. I guess when you think about it, we've got. What, four wins out of 22 games in the Premier League now? There's 20 points on the board. You probably feel that they need an- another 20 probably to make sure that they stay up. So, I mean, you're looking for five wins from 16 games now, effectively, Adam. And as, as Luke said there, I mean, the team and the manager don't really seem to be learning from their mistakes, so to speak. So, I guess five wins from 16 with the fixture list, you know, we've still got to play, I think, five of the top six if you take out Manchester United now. I mean, it's not ideal, really, is it? No, well, no, it's a long way from ideal, and and yeah, we've said it before, and and mentioned it almost in hushed tones a couple of times. But there are uh, some striking parallels with the season that they were relegated from the Premier League last time. If you remember all those uh, winnable-looking home matches early in the season that were basically wasted, and there was obviously an upturn under Harry, um, but the fixture list went against them really, and despite getting better, it was it just they couldn't repair the damage that had been done, and and again. We look now after Palace has gone, there's seven home matches left now. You'd think they're going to need to get most of their points at home. Um, they've got seven games left and they've got to play four of the top six in 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 four of those seven. So 
um, it's going to be very, very difficult. But, you know, the only thing, as I said, in their favour is there are um, there are so many teams that are in this. Um, there are so many teams that are in problems. All right, Saints may be uh, in very poor form generally, um, but, but there are a lot of teams in there. They've all got to play each other. So there are going to be lots of uh, points dropped. There's the, only a couple of wins away from really feeling like you can you can actually feel a small degree of comfort. Um, and so the margins are very, very tight still. And, and because of that, there is, and, and the number of fixtures left, there is still every chance of turning this around. There's still every chance of finishing comfortably mid-table. As bizarre as that sounds when you're talking about the panic of a relegation battle, but you can't deny the, the facts. And the facts are four Premier League wins all season is relegation form. And so and so that needs to turn around. And as we've said before, um, I think that, that, I mean, I've been saying it since day one, as you know, that, that I, I'm not sure that the squad, the balance of the squad is right. I'm not sure it's all down to the manager. And I think he needs to be helped and he needs to be helped in the January transfer window. And uh, and that has to happen very, very soon. And the players that come in have to make a difference. Just before I move on to George, I was going to ask you this question later on. But as you've mentioned it there, I mean, we're effectively a quarter of the way through the transfer window now, if you think about dates and such like. I mean, it all seems worryingly quiet. I mean, I, I appreciate Saints do fly under the radar a little bit, but is there any sort of anything positive that, that you sort of think is, is near to completion? Or is it, is it is it just one of those things at the moment that they're clearly trying to work on a few five or six names I think Pellegrino said yeah I, I get the impression it's more still working away at this exact moment but then you never say never with transfers because I think um, anybody who's ever been close to a deal knows that um, these things these things have a habit sometimes of dragging on an awful lot longer than anybody ever expects when it seems very straightforward um, for, because a, a, a unforeseen circumstance suddenly crops up whilst other deals that you think well that's just probably not going to happen we'll keep that on the back burner all of a sudden they ignite within 24 hours just because there's one phone call the club going okay you know what we've changed our mind so and so damaged his ankle in training this morning let's get rid of him we need another left back whatever these things happen in very odd ways and especially um that's magnified even more so in january when it's very very hard to actually get good high quality players and certainly without being totally and utterly rinsed financially for it so you never say never, but I think what's clear is that that Saints uh, they need some signings and they need some help and and they need it sooner rather than later, preferably. George, in terms of you know relegation, obviously everyone talks about a relegation battle or relegation fight. I guess the one concern is the word sort of fight and battle. You don't necessarily associate those with this Saints squad at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Is I think the biggest loss we talk about Saints as a selling club and. I go back to last year, we lost a player in Jose Fonte, who at the time everyone was saying, yeah, great, we'll get an eight million for someone who in two years time could be retired, etc., etc." has been causing problems behind the scenes. I would feel a lot more confident if we had someone like a Fonte or I know he's obviously retired now, but a Ricky Lambert in the squad. I don't see someone, I don't see a lot of players who will pull people up. We seem to have a lot of quiet players who lead. Like, for example, we got Stephen Davis. He doesn't seem to me to be someone who will not necessarily shout at people to get out of them. But you know what I mean? That charismatic leader. We seem to not have that. We seem to have a lot of players who are waiting for someone else 
to lead the team, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I know it's something Adam and I spoke about last week about Davis not being a someone that will pin someone up against the wall and uh, and those sort of things. But um, uh, Adam's newspaper, the Daily Echo, ran a poll in the 72 hours after the Palace game asking fans if they believe Saints would get relegated. A straight yes/no question. Um, I checked it on Friday. Actually, six thousand, just over six thousand people have voted in the end, with 71% saying that they think Saints will indeed get relegated this season, which is quite a, a worrying and uh, alarming percentage. That Luke. I guess I would never have thought of even asking this question at the start of the season, and I don't want to sound overly negative, but straight question to you, sort of where we are now. I mean, do you think Saints are going to get relegated, or do you think they can get out of it? I think there's every, every possibility we can get out of it, but I've got to be brutally honest, and in my opinion, under this manager, I don't think we will. I don't think Pellegrino has shown in the first sort of half and just over the first half of the season that he can galvanise this side. I mean, we've... we've shown in spells, as I said, that we can play good football and that we can threaten teams. But we're not seeing it enough. And it, it as, you, as we've already said, that there doesn't seem to be enough enough fight, enough leadership, enough... Um, I don't know what the word is for it, but it doesn't feel like there's many captains in this side. Mm. I mean, we've seen, we've seen Yoshida and Davis sort of interchanging as the captain, but it just doesn't feel as though we've got the battle in us to get out of this and it's really really worrying for me and you know as much as I want Pellegrino to do well and you, you don't want to keep calling for managers heads you know because it, it affects stability but I don't see how we get out of it under him because I, I, it just feels as though a lot of the players have been drained of confidence that could largely be down to the fans and sort of how we you know how we receive these players for example Redmond mm-hmm. but um, I, I can't see us getting out of this at the moment unless we you know, do make a drastic change. And it's sad to say, but I think that needs must at the end of the day. I know, I know you've been quite outspoken about Pellegrino this season, Luke, and I think everything I've read makes absolutely perfect sense. And I think lots of fans, obviously, as you well know, agree with you. Have you taken any positives out of his managerial spell? Is there, is there anything we can take positive that he's actually done better with the team and the squad? Uh, <laughs> to be honest, off the top of my head, no. Um, yeah, because I find myself struggling as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't think of anything. I mean, I... You know, as you'll all know, I was an advocate of us replacing Claude Puel. And although I still believe that was the right decision, I think we made a mistake in who we replaced him with. Yeah. At least Claude Puel could organise a defence. Yeah. Pellegrino, I'd argue Pellegrino from the start of the season has had a stronger squad than Puel had. It's easy to forget that um, Puel didn't have Gabbiadini, for example, until February time. Uh, so he had a, you know, had a good striker available to him. But the system is not working. The approach isn't working. And... Um, you struggle to find excuses to say that Pellegrino is deserving of a sort of of more time with this squad because you know contrary to what a lot of people say this is a this is a strong Southampton squad more than capable of finishing in the top eight in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And George, you told me this week that even your dad wants Pellegrino sacked and he never calls for a manager's head. Is that right? Yeah, this is literally the only Southampton manager that he, I can ever remember where he's gone. He he's the problem. He needs to go. I mean. After the Palace game, we sort of look at reactions. There's one guy I remember saying, if you're looking at managers and, you know, if they're the problem whatsoever, we've had a lot of duff managers, recent history, I'm talking the late, the late noughties really, who weren't great, but then they had the situations off the pitch, you know, in terms of budget slashing, whatever, that meant that they couldn't, they could never progress. They, the, the kind of managers like Jan Portvalli, Mark Watt, etc. So if you're looking at managers, really, 
we're almost going back to Branford, really, in terms of managers who you just thinking, this isn't right. This is, you know, you're the problem, not the squad, if that, if that makes sense. Adam, I know, obviously, we're going to talk about the Ralph interview in a minute, and he, you know, made it quite evident, I think, to you what, what his standing was on the manager. You, you may have seen earlier this week, I was sat having my breakfast, I think it was Wednesday after the Palace game, and uh, I was bored, so I was going through sort of what I thought were some of our worst Premier League managers we'd had, just looking at the win ratios, and, uh, I think in all competitions, I had it as follows. It was Stuart Gray was around 31%. Ian Bramford, 28% win rate. Steve Wigley, 17.64. Pellegrino was at 17.39. I struggled to find anyone with a worse win rate with him. Obviously, that's shot up to 20% now after yesterday, if we're including all uh, competitions. But I guess the thing is, you know, when you look at the talent in that squad and the amount of money that that, that squad has now cost compared to the resources that those other guys had... You know, do do we really? And I know we said before we don't want this to be an agenda, but I think we need to look at it as a Premier League. You know, we are out of the relegation zone on goal difference here. Do do we really think Pellegrino can turn it around from here and and sort of have one final chance, or do you think the board are a little bit blinkered and in, in you know maybe a little bit stubborn and not wanting to admit that they made a mistake? Really, maybe there's an element of that, but but I think more importantly. Um, I think it's very, very easy to say, get rid of the manager. I think that's a very easy solution. I think that the problems there, we've discussed some of them before. In fact, we discussed most of them before, uh, actually run a, a lot deeper than just who is the manager. Um, I think if history, recent history should teach us anything with what happened with Claude, it's that getting rid of the manager and, and giving in to the mob isn't necessarily always the wisest thing to do. And I appreciate you know, at the end of the day, things you can't can't gloss over the fact that things are going fairly badly at the moment. They are. The Saints are Saints are struggling at the moment, but the board have to look at it not just in does chopping off Pellegrino's head. What, what what does it do? What does it actually achieve? And and they need to go away and they need to look and say, well, were we to get rid of him, what do we do now? Everybody, I think, is very nervous um, after what happened at Everton. Now, they got they jumped. And when they felt that the Cumin situation was untenable with the fans, when the fans had turned, they got rid of him. And they uh, obviously had nobody lined up to replace him. They had to start a search. They struggled to find anybody. They didn't they didn't seem like they wanted Allardyce at all to start with. But things got so bad in that interim period. Um, we know how bad they got because uh, Everton were absolutely dreadful when they came to St Mary's uh, under David Unsworth. That, that at that point, they were not appointing a manager. that well, They thought they were getting rid of Koeman to appoint somebody to give them a bright future. By the time they came and they got Allardyce, they were getting somebody just purely to keep them in the division. And Saints have to consider that. And, and look, look who's out there. Look, who would you go and get now? You know, they have to weigh up whether... Despite everything, it's better the devil you know, and it's better somebody who knows the squad, who knows the players, than somebody else who's coming in. Who are they going to get? Who are they going to get that's got great experience, who's got a great track record, a Premier League um, survival, things like that? Who's out there? I mean, they're very, very hard to find. And what's the alternative? Gambling on yet another foreign manager who's never managed in the Premier League, who you hope might be good enough. And also, by the way, if there's one or two people thinking, oh, there's these, you know, they're mentioning top draw names, they ain't going to come to Saints at the moment, are they? They're not going to want, this is not a job that they're going to want to take on in this uh, in this situation. So Saints have to look at it, not just in terms of, of the Pellegrino strengths and weaknesses, but in terms of actually what is the reality of replacing Pellegrino? What is the reality of sacking him? What situation could you land yourself in 
if you get rid of him because if you conclude that actually there's every chance that that, that it could get worse then well, then you may as well keep him anyway and actually at least have some form of stability i just think that that they've realized that what they've got to do i think is to go out spend some money improve the quality of the squad um and, and, and more importantly, improve the quality of the team, not just the squad, because there's a lot of players there, but arguably some of them aren't really good enough or not cutting it. Give him better players and hope that he is the man to turn it around. I sense so that's what they want to do. Now, positions can become untenable. We know that. If he goes out and they lose the next two or three games and they're dreadful, well, the truth is he'll probably be gone because it will get beyond the point where they probably feel that that, that sort of risk to uh, reward ratio has tipped so far one way that they've just got to act but I think that what they will want to do is to maintain their patience with him uh, to give him better tools to work with as it were with better players and hope he pulls them out of it because I, I think that there's not an obvious alternative and that is the difficulty for the board they can't just weigh up getting rid of him they've got to weigh up what happens next Moving on to something a bit more positive anyway. Um, Saints obviously beat Fulham yesterday 1-0, FA Cup third round. We've seen a few shocks this weekend, Coventry and uh, Leeds United and such. Like Luke, not necessarily a vintage performance, but I guess into the hat and nice to enjoy a rare win this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you said, it wasn't pretty, but, uh, you know, we had to win. We had to win a game because, you know, it takes it takes a result like that to stop the rut. And although I'm not really convinced we're going to build on that, because we've seen so many times this season that we've failed to sort of push on from, you know, coming away with a positive result. It was a light relief for everyone. I mean, in front of 4,700 odd fans, it was nice to come away, you know, with a victory and without feeling particularly deflated. I remain hugely underwhelmed by the performance and um, quite irritated that we sat back and looked to counter-attack in the second half against the championship side. But ultimately, as you said, it's a place in the next round and uh, hopefully it will give the players a little bit more confidence to then push on. Adam, I think Luke's summed it up nicely there. I guess there was one thing I wanted to sort of pick up with you, Adam, because I know you were obviously there and, and uh, we were discussing it offline earlier, actually. But just the reaction by fans towards Pellegrino chanting, you don't know what you're doing, when he replaced Hoiberg, who clearly run his socks off with a like-for-like replacement in Lamina. So it wasn't as necessarily a, an overly dramatic substitution. But what did you make of that, Adam? It was, to be honest with you, I was stunned uh, that it was that it was like it was. I mean, the Saints fans obviously travelled there in huge numbers, five thousand, and credit to them for that. And they were an entire end was a, a Saints end, and they were very very noisy throughout. Um, but I was I was really I was genuinely taken aback. And it's I think what's interesting that the perspective that I get sometimes is obviously I know there's obviously a lot of people that the fans are in the fans, whereas where I sit, obviously I'm I'm attached to the club, as it were, in terms of covering the club everywhere. But I'm sat with a lot of other journalists, often in with the home fans. And it's interesting to get their reaction to, to what's going on, because sometimes it's interesting to know what people from outside who don't have any, uh, you know, who aren't following it closely think. And, um, yeah, I mean, there was just general uh, amusement, to be honest, in the in in amongst the, the where we were sat, which was with other journalists and the Fulham fans as to how um, how how vitriolic that reaction was towards um, Pellegrino's substitution as the general consensus seemed to be that it was actually quite a sensible change, especially given Hoiberg played um, three matches in the week. He started all three and he was clearly appeared to be tiring. It seemed like an entirely sensible 
um, substitution to make. And it almost seemed to feel as if it was a case of, um, well, we're going to win this game, but we want to, some, some people were thinking, well, we want to make a point anyway. So this is the point, this is the stage at which um, to do it. And I, I mean, I, I, I've always, people ask me sometimes about fan reactions and I always say, well, look, I never would criticise supporters for, for whatever their reaction is because they pay their money and they turn up and they're entitled to say whatever they want to say. And I think that's completely fair. And I don't think it's for me or anybody else to tell them what they should or shouldn't be saying. All I would say is that um, that kind of uh, reaction and that kind of um, negativity does affect the players. Um, Stephen Davis spoke about it after the game, which uh, people will uh, perhaps be reading by the time that by the time they listen to this podcast. It does affect the players. And so um, you it's completely fine. You'll pay your money that if you want to go and you want to sort of get on their backs and you want to have a go and you want to be uh, frustrated. But that is going to make positive performances and positive results harder. So it depends what you want out of it. If you don't mind the, the, the results and the performances might be more negative, then that's fine. But if you really want positive performances, then, then you know, I, I'm not sure that's the way to go. So, um, but I have to say in fairness to Pellegrino as well, uh, after the game, he was obviously, we asked an awful lot about it because uh, I think that, like I said, there was a widespread uh, feeling that it was slightly shocking as to, to the level of, um, that, it, that it reached uh, in those final 10 minutes and when he was particularly when he made the change um, and he handled it I thought really well I thought he handled it with, and came out of it with, with some dignity so um, so credit to him for that at the very least George just to finish on the cup run then obviously we went out to Wolves in the League Cup in the first opportunity with, with the pressure around the Premier League and obviously wanting to stay up how, how important do you think it is for Saints to have a good cup run or do you think they need to sort of maybe prioritise the league over that now? I wouldn't agree with prioritising the league over the FA Cup as to say we should. Oh, I don't mind if we lose in the next round because every win at the moment. We, I mean, as you mentioned, we've had five wins this season. So every chance that we have to win games and every win we pick up, whether it picks up points or not, is is very important because we need to build momentum. We haven't had. A time in this season really where you feel that they're on a roll at all so any particular win whether it's in the cup whether it's in the league is is really important and I just think that okay the performance by the sounds of it wasn't great and the substitution and the reaction to it wasn't great either but at the end of the day we won one nil we we got that win we're in the next round and if we can go on a run in the FA Cup I don't see why we can't transfer some of that into the league and hopefully get that roll up and running that will steer us away from the relegation zone. Right, we're going to talk about Ralph Kruger, the big interview with Adam Leach and Adam Blackmore this week. Obviously, the guy's got rare and exclusive access to the Saints chairman. Um, first things first, Welsh reactions have maybe been a bit mixed on Mr. Kruger's answers. I think pretty much all the fans, Adam, have been very complimentary and supportive of the questions you've asked, which I think is great because we don't obviously get that opportunity. So I think it's always good when people like you do that you're asking the questions that fans want. So that's obviously great. Um, we've spoken a, a fair bit over the past few months, Adam, about the club not necessarily being honest and transparent as Mr. Kruger once said they would. Having had the opportunity to go in and meet him this week and reflecting on it, I mean, what, what did you sort of make of it all in the end? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was always going to be a difficult interview for him. There's no doubt about it. Um, it was um, it was discussed and uh, and arranged at, at relatively short notice, really. Um, and uh, it was it, the timing was always going to be difficult. It's always harder to do these things when when the pressure's on and when things are going badly. But Ralph. Uh, did feel the time was right to um, to speak and to and to answer questions and um, contrary to what some people may tell you there's no pre-vetting of questions there's no giving him a list of what you're going to ask him you just go in there um, nothing's off limits sit down um, obviously we, we all got a busy day ahead so it's not one of these things where you can just sit there and ask question after question after question because you do get people go well why didn't you ask about this or why didn't you ask about that well there is a reasonable time limit that you have to you know you have to be sensible with um but yeah he, he was he was fine he was able to uh he was happy to take whatever we wanted to ask him and, and adam and i i think hopefully covered most of the uh what we felt were the most pressing issues which was um Pellegrino's position, uh, Van Dijk, uh, a general overview of kind of where the club, where the team particularly are now, uh, and then particularly uh, then going on to ask him uh, more about the ownership and the owners and, and what on earth is is going on there, given how quiet that's been. Yeah, I mean my my takeaways from it were um, really that it was it was a difficult time for him. I, I think. Uh, one thing I would slightly defend him on that he's got hammered for is this is this um, this small club comment that he he obviously made several times saying Southampton are a small club. Uh, he did make that comment several times. Obviously, everybody heard it. I think in context, when I must admit, it seemed one of those that seemed worse afterwards than it was at the time when you were there having the conversation with him, looking him in the eye, kind of in context, as it were. I he I think he was what he was trying to mean was in comparison to. Man City, Man United. But the problem is that's not how it read. It's not really how it came across, which is a bit of a yeah. shame for him, I think, because I think that that, that comment has kind of detracted uh, away a little bit from some of the actual meat of the content, as it were, the, uh, of some of the more meaningful uh, things he was talking about. I mean, we all know, uh, we know when we go to interview Ralph, he, he's, a, he's a polished performer. Uh, he's good with the media. And so, you know, he's not going to give too much away, as it were, no matter how hard you press him. But I think Adam and I felt that it had been quite a long time since we'd spoken to him and we had to try and press for some for some uh, answers on various topics. And I think it's one of those situations whereby maybe doing some more regular stuff might actually have lessened the impact in a way that it had because it becomes such an event when he speaks, if he doesn't speak very often, and obviously Les uh, hasn't spoken for for pretty much a calendar year now either publicly. So um, yeah, so it was certainly very interesting, and, and obviously it happened before the Palace game, and it's one of those things that you feel like well, that you, you always felt like the success or otherwise from from Saints's point of view of that interview would would uh, ultimately be judged from the outside by probably the result against Crystal Palace, and it would probably be better received if they did well against Crystal Palace, and it was going to look uh, pretty bad. If um if they lost to Crystal Palace, which is what ended up happening, but I think it was good. I, I it was good to get in there. It was good to be able to ask some questions. Uh, um, Adam covered most of the football, and I particularly was keen to ask a lot of questions or as much as I could about um Mr. Gao and the ownership situation because for me, as I've said, I think that there's a lot of things at the club, and, that, and whilst that 
a lot of reasons behind the problems. And I think that this remains one of the big things. The elephant in the room, as it were, is what on earth is going on with the ownership? Who is this person? Where where is this money, you know, come from? What is the what is the motivation? And and I think um, that's the only thing I'd say that Ralph did seem a little taken aback that that I was even asking, you know, about what well, you know, so and saying, well, it's all very well you telling us, Mr. Gao and the Gao family, they're lovely, they're great people, they're they're humble, they're so nice, but how about we actually try and find out for ourselves? How about people find out and they hear from them? And I think what shook me a little bit was when he made the point that they'd been he'd been here for three weeks so at some stage he'd been over here for three weeks and still didn't think it was worth doing anything um and yeah maybe he's taking his lead off of Katerina and Katerina didn't speak very much um but that's a I think that's a very different situation because she inherited the club and and had the legacy of Marcus and Marcus's legacy was that nobody was questioning his motivation behind what he was doing um and and people are wondering what on earth mr gow is doing and I, and so i think that i think there were still a, a lot of questions to be answered but i think that ralph has probably answered about as much as he possibly could have done i thought the questions it was evident that they hadn't been pre-screened because i thought it actually pushed him into quite a few areas that he probably didn't want to go from the sounds of it certainly listen on uh, adam blackmore's clip that uh, he obviously did um luke i mean we're not going to go through every single question every single answer but i guess starting at the beginning he made a lot of the the virgil van dyke situation over the past six months and the sort of cloud as he called it that's been over pellegrino and his squad he, he, he then sort of almost contradicted himself by saying that you know the reason saints were where they were wasn't down to one individual therefore fans shouldn't target pellegrino etc etc i mean to me it sounded a bit like a contradiction in terms really yeah i agree with you i think that Without a doubt, the Van Dyke saga did go on for too long and uh, it got boring. It got tedious. And I've got no doubt that it probably did have a negative influence on Pellegrino. However, you can't pin it all on Van Dyke. Uh, you know, I think Ralph did make reference to everyone underperforming and saying that everyone does have to step up. But to, to sort of reason it and to say that, you know, it was hanging over Pellegrino and it was affecting him, I don't really agree because at the end of the day, Playing Hoiberg or Davis close to the striker, playing long instead of Gabbiadini, and constantly rotating your back four doesn't just come down to Virgil van Dijk being a nuisance. That comes down to the manager and his tactics. So I did sort of understand what he was trying to say, but Virgil can't be totally to blame for this season's shortcomings, nor for Pellegrino's sort of tactical approach. So I, I personally, I think, as, you know, as has been mentioned a few times, I think it's a bit of a cop-out. Yeah, and if you're saying that that was the issue and that issue is now left, then the pressure is very much on Pellegrino and the squad to turn it around because you can't use that excuse anymore. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people firstly made the point it was Eric Black's fault. He left and we were still playing poorly. Van Dijk's gone. And, well, we went and lost 2-1 to Palace. So, you know, where does the blame then go? There'll always be someone to blame, Luke, I guarantee it. But there we go. Um, <laughs> George, When uh, the other thing that caught my attention was when um, Adam Blackmore pushed... Kruger on the fact that things had gone back over the last uh, backwards over the last 18 months since Cumin had left. He was quite quick to sort of fire back quite nipply and say that, you know, for, for a club like us, getting to the cup final in eighth place last season was a, a fabulous season, not a move backwards. I guess, you know, and I, I agree with Luke. I mean, I think we were all in, in agreement that it wasn't working with Claude in the summer, but he, he's never really and the club have never really justified getting rid of Claude. And if they truly felt that getting to a cup final and finishing eighth was a good season, then, yeah, why did they get rid of Claude Puel? Well, his sort of justification for sacking Puel was, 
oh, it was the feeling. It felt right to sack him. When earlier in when earlier in the interview, he actually said, well, we've got a long term strategy. We we don't tend to bow down to emotion. That's along those sort of lines, which completely contradicts sacking well because you sort of felt like that was the right thing to do. I don't. It was a very good interview from the media side, asking the questions that clearly we've all wanted to ask mm. for so long. Yet the answers you gave, especially on the eve of, as Luke deemed it, the biggest game of the season mm. and the biggest game we've had since the cup final. And to get the answers, some of the answers that he gave were completely and utterly confusing. And that especially, you know, they they agreed to sack Puel and most most Saints fans would agree, yeah, that was the right decision. It felt like in his answers, he wasn't really sure how to approach the question. And he, he gave he gave some really weird answers that I'm I'm still amazed that he gave, if, yeah, if I'm totally yeah. honest. I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I, you know, I guess with Mr. Krieger is that, uh, he, he, you know, as Adam said, he, he does use a lot of waffle and he's obviously very well driven in sort of business terminology and that sort of thing. But you tend to find yourself with him. He'll give one answer and it sort of leads to two questions straight away. Yeah, it, I mean, especially especially the second half of the Echo interview, mm. you know, the part two where he was going on about, oh, Mr. Gal loves the region or we're looking at, you know, expanding into sort of China and that sort of stuff. Now, that's great reading it if you're in the top 10, fine, safe away from relegation, whatever. You know, if you're reading it then, you're sort of thinking, well, we're going places, but we're 17th in the table, we're with joint 17th, only just out of it on goal difference. If we've got an interview, we don't necessarily want to be hearing, oh, yeah, we're going to do up St Mary's. We want to know, right, what are we going to do that will get us out of this problem? Adam, I was going to ask him, and I had that, that question down to sort of ask you about Mr Gow's motivation. And Mr Kruger said, quote, I can give you one insight. He's certainly also looking beyond just the football club at the opportunities around here. And I'm sure I'll be speaking about that over the next six to 12 months. But as George says there, Adam, and we, we, you know, in the nicest way, we don't really care about stadium refurbishments, the training ground, foreign and global Saints projects. What we want is a team that's going to stay in the, the, the Premier League. And that's the most important thing fans are, are really concerned about. Surely the, the, the short term picture on the, the pitch is a lot more more important than what's going to happen in the next six to 12 months outside the pitch well yeah I mean that that's true obviously but um I also think that I was asking him about uh Gao and, and the fact that the, the the references to Mr Gao really were in terms of trying to find out why or ask just straight up why on earth he's basically bought the club and what he wants from it um and and, and a longer term approach is part of that and that is part of Ralph's job to take a strategic overview as chairman um and that was kind of the second half of the interview I deliberately uh, broke it the way that we um that we put it out was deliberate in that the first half was very much football orientated and the second half was very much uh, a more general look at what is going on at the football club and, and now I know that the uh, football side of things is obviously the most pressing, but I, I felt that it was worth asking about the longer term stuff. And so I think that the fact that Ralph provided answers to questions about it, whether people liked what the answers were or not, um, I don't think I would criticise him uh, too much for that. I think that if you to talk more specifically about the football side and what on earth they're going to do, that's that's really something that, that would be Les Reed's 
place to do. He was not just a sort of down the ladder employee. He is the vice chairman now. Um, I think in terms of specifics on the football, I think it's it's more for him to do that than Ralph. Ralph is the uh, big picture, big vision guy, if you like. That's his his remit is the overview. He is, as he said several times, he is basically in there for the ownership. He's in there as the steward for the ownership. He's not in there to run the club day to day. That is not his. Um, that is not what he's there for. He's there to kind of give some overall strategic direction and to allow other people to run the club on a day to day basis. And, and obviously, when it comes to football, um, the person running the club on a day to day basis at that at board level is Les. And um, absolutely, the buck stops with Les when it comes to the football side of things. Um, and from what the guys have have said, it's interesting to hear. I think it's what a lot of feedback that I've got about the about the answers that that Ralph gave as well. And I think there were um, a, a lot more questions. I think that maybe uh, when it came to Gal, Ralph said about as much as he he felt like he could say without stepping on uh, Mr. Gal's toes at all in in any shape or form. But I I, I don't really buy the theory personally that well most of the Premier League runs like this, and so therefore. We don't need to. Mr. Gow doesn't need to bother telling anybody what he wants, because I just think that that's a very business answer. And yeah, I, I understand. Mr. Gow doesn't really. He's got loads of money. He's bought himself a business. And yeah, he doesn't need to explain to anybody. But the difference uh, point I was trying to make is that this is a Southampton or a provincial football club still. Um, no matter what you might think about world domination or world expansion, they are a provincial football club. The majority of um, the hardcore fans who are spending money, who are turning up, live in and around the area. And this is their community and their football club. And I think they're entitled to know uh, what the ownership um, wants from the football club, why they bought it and what their vision is. Yeah, and I think it's interesting the point you make about Les Reed there, because obviously you've already mentioned earlier that we've not heard from him for 12 months, whether he's, uh, you know, whether it's the club hiding him away or, or whatever. But he obviously didn't want to talk to Adam Blackmore. What was it, four or five weeks ago, I think, when Adam had uh, mentioned it? You won't do a fans forum, those sort of things. So I guess from a, a fan's point of view, if he is the football man, then you've got to rely on him at least trying to do something with the team, actions speaking louder than words. Yeah, I guess so. And and ultimately, yeah, he is he is the man that um, when it comes to football is making the, the big decisions, really. He's making the big calls. And um, now I'm not saying that Ralph has no involvement or nobody else does. But who ultimately was the one who pulled the trigger on Claude? Who ultimately was the one who had the final say on the appointment of Maurizio? What about Jose going, which we've talked about? What about Virgil going and, and the way that that played out ultimately I think most of those things those football specific things um, yes there's obviously a business element to those but um, they, they come back and, and land at the door of Les um, these are negative things the same as Les was obviously widely praised when things were going very well as well and that's that's just the nature of his job and, and the nature of football that you're going to have both sides of that but I think in the slight defense of Ralph I think to expect him to, to be able to give you chapter and verse of the, the real nitty gritty and the detail of um, the football things and, and the things that we'd like to ask about the football is probably a bit unrealistic, but that's really uh, Les's job. And so it's, it's up to Les whether he wishes at some point to front up as well and to actually have his say. Um, I think that by doing that, um, he might put himself in the firing line, but I also think he would take some pressure off of Maurizio as well. Um, and so uh, I think that's for him to decide what, what he wants to do. 
Luke, one, one of the other things I just want to pick up on, just a couple more on, on this for anyone that's uh, listening and uh, wondering how long we're going to talk about it. Um, in terms of accountability, obviously Adam's just mentioned it there. Mr. Mr. Krieger sort of first spoke about him ultimately being responsible, but then also spoke about a team including sort of football experts, legal, financial, the board, etc., being responsible for the final team product. You know, I'm still confused as to when push comes to shove, who is ultimately making the decisions here, whether it's Mr. Gow, whether it's Mr. Krieger, whether it is Mr. Rikers. I guess if we find ourselves in a predicament that we are where things are sort of snowballing out of control you need someone that's going to come to the forefront and say right I'm in charge he needs to go that person's staying we're signing him we're not signing that person whatever because at the moment it, it kind of feels like there's a bit of a buck passing going around yeah I agree I think that there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the club and its uh, infrastructure at the moment and I suppose that has been made all the more prominent with Gal coming in you know do we know if he's making the decisions um, with regards to the football matters is he making decisions from a financial side of things? Who sanctioned the Virgil van Dijk sale? No one really knows. Um, I think that ultimately, as Adam quite rightly referred to, Les is the man who needs to be coming out and sort of giving his say on the footballing matters. And um, there is that little issue about accountability as to who's accountable, because um, Pellegrino is obviously the man who, who's in charge of getting these results and getting the team playing the football that's We've been promised and that's not happening. But there's also a case of um, Saints now clearly need to invest in January and we need to, you know, we need to get ourselves out of this rut. And, you know, we're a week into January and everything's very eerily quiet. So there's a lot of uncertainty around the club and it is worrying. You know, I must be fair, Lesri's done a, a lot of good things for Saints and I think ultimately it's it's been able to show your face as a leader when things are going well, as, as Adam said there, as, as well as when things are going badly. But George, just to finish on this section then, Adam asked Mr. Kruger about Mr. Gowney's background initially being rejected by the Premier League as a fit and proper owner, but then obviously having that changed on appeal. Mr. Kruger was quick to sort of say that fans should be more encouraged about Mr. Gow than they, they, they maybe are at the moment. As a fan, how important do you think it is that we hear directly from Mr. Gow at some point? I think it's hugely important, especially as you said, he did fail the fit and proper persons test. The Premier League changed their rules after this guy took us over to stop another example of this happening. So to have this guy who we've not heard from since what the takeover went through in something like September, didn't it? You know, end of August, I think August. So we haven't heard directly from this guy. We have, we've seen him. I think he ca- he came for the Manchester United game. I'm not sure quite how many games after the Man United game he's seen. We've not heard anything from him, so we we do need to. You hear from Kruger, and I get that he's the sort of the link from the club to the owner, but he ha- the owner has to speak out as well. I know Ka- as as Adam mentioned, Katharina Lieber didn't speak a lot, but there's there wasn't quite the same controversy with Katharina as there is with this guy I guess we were going through we were going through quite a good period so she probably didn't need to yeah exactly you know she had that she had the club passed to her from her father this guy if you have got the money how much are you going to put in because it's clear that we need to invest in the playing squad but if you've got this guy who's supposed to come in because it became clear that Katharina didn't have the money that she was rumoured to have and therefore she couldn't fund us going on to the next stage. But if this if this guy, and I get that there's problems surrounding Chinese ownership, 
and make investing money into football clubs and the the way that that they have to go about that to do so. But if you've got all these questions about this guy, especially how much money he has to spend on Saints, then you have to hear from him. You have to hear from this guy because if not, we're just going to be shrouded again in, in another cloud that we don't need at this present moment in time. To close off the podcast this week, we're going to have a quick look at next weekend's visit to Watford. Um, Luke, unlike Pellegrino, I know you're a massive Marco Silva fan, aren't you? So what is it about him you like so much? I like him because I feel he galvanises a squad. I think that he's a good man manager. I think he's a good tactician. And I feel as though, although Watford haven't been as good as they were at the start of the season, I think they're a good team to watch. I think that they play with a lot of positional freedom. I think that they get the ball forward when they can, high and wide. And I think that... Um, a lot of their football at times reminds me of uh, how we played in spells under Kuman. We attacked through the wings. We tried to move the ball from defence to attack quickly. And, yeah, I, I found them very entertaining when they came to St Mary's at the start of the season. I mean, they, they were a lot better than us. They outclassed us. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously things aren't going well for them, but they remain a good team. And I know they won in uh, their FA Cup clash this weekend, so it should be a really difficult game on Saturday. Luke sort of mentioned there, George, that obviously Watford have gone through a bit up and down recently. But, I mean, they've certainly, I totally agree with Luke, played some really attractive football this season and particularly picked up quite a few good results against the big boys as well. It's going to be an interesting one because I'm looking at the form table now. Southampton sit bottom on 20th and one place ahead of them is Watford. So I'm not expecting a, a classic, as <laughs> you know. So the, I think the, the point, the point they've, they have just... They have just won, so they've got a bit of confidence. Hopefully, we can match that with our win. But it, this this is a bit this is a hugely important game as well because if if we can win, we also I, I don't know how many points they're off us in terms of the league table, but we need to start dragging teams into it. I know we're in 17th, but if we can start dragging the likes of Watford, Huddersfield, Brighton into the sort of the mix, it helps us. Adam, looking at it from Saints' point of view, as, as George sort of mentioned there, I mean, we're going to get to the stage scene where I imagine we're going to be using that every game's a cup final type scenario, but it, it's obviously a very tough fixture. I mean, we've we've had a mixed record. I know we won there last year, but we've obviously had a mixed record there over the years. But games are running out. It's, it's something Saints have got to get something from. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, a fair summary. You can't, can't keep on saying, oh, this is a difficult game. Yeah, we all know they're all tough games in the Premier League. There aren't knockover sides. And, and when you look at Watford, I think George alluded to it. I think it's uh, going into the cup tie yesterday. Before that, they they lost uh, six of their last seven. So hardly sparkling form. I think that the cup win was only their second uh, victory at home since October. So poor home form uh, as well. And, and when we were talking earlier and I was saying about how Saints could still conceivably get themselves not just out of this but comfortably out of this Watford are only that run has seen what for now only five points off of Saints in the uh, you know and, and Stoke in those in the places down down towards the bottom three there um, but they're intense in the table uh, but really a bad run for them all right the games don't come quite thick and fast as, as they were over Christmas but a bad January for them and it could be them that's in the bottom three. The the margins are that tight at the moment. Um, but I completely agree from the Saints' point of view. 
we we know they're all big games now. We know they're all the the cliches, the cup finals, which is a horrible thing. But you know, we know it's these are massive games for them, and especially uh, these games away from home as well, because they're going to have to play a lot of those teams in and around them away from home. So they're going to have to try and come up with uh, a winning formula uh, to do this on the road, one which they haven't really found so far. Uh, and and they need to do it now if they can come up with a way of playing um, that's going to get results in these games and then, then they won't uh, they won't find themselves in too much bother come the end of the season right let's have some predictions Adam I'm going to start with you because you watch them every single week home and away so you're the man that we can rely on for a uh, proper prediction yeah you know you know my the record of my predictions is so uh, absolutely amazing that, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's true uh I actually think um, I'm going to go for one all. Okay, excellent. Luke? I'm going to say nil-nil. I think both teams are struggling. And as George rightly said, it's not going to be a classic. So uh, I think nil-nil. But if, if one team's going to win, I think I've got a feeling it's going to be Watford. I just don't I just don't see us going there and putting in a good enough performance to win the game. No, fair enough. George, you said it won't be a classic. So what are you going for? 5-4 or something like that? <laughs> yeah, the the a 7-6 break the Premier League goal scoring <laughs> right. record. Um, <laughs> right, I'm writing that down. 7-6, excellent. In, no, no, what do you reckon it'll be? I'll go positive. I'll go 1-0 Saints. Yeah? All right, we'll definitely take that, won't we? So, uh, my 7-6 no, my shout's actually sounding less mad than a 1-0 <laughs> Saints. So. Yeah. Well, we've, we've got two clean sheets in the last three, so maybe we should be that so a bit more positive. But, yeah, I, I actually have one all as well, Adam, which I know you won't believe. But I, uh, I, I feel like I shouldn't go for that now that you've gone no, for No, 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 go uh, for it, go for it. If that's what you think, then go for it. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I still think we look pretty shaky yesterday, as Luke said there. I mean, this this standing off and, you know, Fulham are a mid-table championship side, but they, they certainly took the game to us the last sort of 15, 20 minutes. So I, I do feel that Watford will know how to, to sort of get on top of this, but... I don't know, maybe maybe a bit of luck from somewhere and uh, hopefully they can get a battle in one or And uh, I think if you can pick up points away from home ads and, and try and win your home games, even though they look tough, then uh, you've got a better chance of staying up. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the one thing from Saints' point of view is that, that they have only won four Premier League games this season, which you would expect them to be in a worse position than they are. But they have got an awful lot of draws as well. They've got an awful lot of points and those odd points have stacked up to kind of keep their nose just about above water. And, and yeah, so I think they need to keep on trying to make sure that they, first and foremost, they don't lose games. But from what you said about Fulham, I think that's just um, a sign of a team that that's confidence. When you lack confidence, that is what you do. You, you know, Yesterday, we saw Saints not keeping the ball anywhere near as well as they can do. What do you do when you're not confident? You don't want to make a mistake on the ball. So you hit it long because that's the safest thing to do. What would you do when you're not confident? You don't press teams. You don't push up the pitch you sit deeper and deeper and deeper because that seems the safest thing to do and the safest way to protect your goal um and that's what we're seeing from saints this is it's all driven by the results but a but a lack of confidence really but you would expect Watford to be feeling fairly similar so it'll be interesting to see the way it plays out Luke you just just to finish Luke you mentioned it to sort of the top of this Watford bit about reminding us of sort of how we played under Cumin. I mean, I've always been a man that sort of thinks attack is the best form of defence. And it, I, I guess that's the one thing that you'd hope Pellegrino can try. And I mean, he, he made a point of saying to Adam Blackmore a couple of weeks ago, he was going to be more positive. For me, I'd much rather, if we're going to go down, I'd much rather we're going down by being positive and attacking rather than just trying to win games 1-0. Absolutely. And that's just it. I mean, of course, there has to be an element of defence to your game and you have to try and close out the lead. But um, 
the main thing that irritates me under Pellegrino is how how deep we sit. There were there was times yesterday where, especially in that second half, Buffalo Long would pick the ball up about halfway, look up, and there would be absolutely nothing ahead of them but four white shirts. And that can't happen. That can't happen. You know, if you if you pick up the ball and you are trying to close out lead, you have to at least have the bodies forward to counterattack. And ultimately, if your team pushes higher up the pitch, it's able to retrieve the ball higher up the pitch and then you'll create more chances. You know, that's it, it sounds simple and I know it's difficult to execute, but that's how, you know, we played so well under Pochettino. We didn't press particularly high under Koeman, but what was good is that we had Tadic and Mane or, you know, other alternatives pressed high up the pitch and close to the strikers. And it helped us. It helped us score more goals and create more chances. And I think that that's why, you know, that's why for the last couple of seasons we've been struggling to score goals and struggling to break away quickly. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, I've, I've decided while we've been talking that if they win 7-6, then George Galpin automatically wins our prediction league this season, all right? So, uh, <laughs> I think that's fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. My thanks to Luke, George and Adam for joining this week's Total Saints podcast and adding their thoughts and views. Also very much to all of you for listening. It's been an eventful start to 2018 for Saints already, a year that really looks like it could go one of two ways now. I think we all desperately hope it's upwards and not downwards. Anyway, we look forward to speaking to you on our next episode of TSP. Have a good week and keep marching in. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.